Hey everybody, welcome to the fifth episode of Drive Through FM. Welcome aboard to any new listeners today. Today we're going to cover my top 10 most anticipated games at Gen Con. So unfortunately, I'm not going to be going to Gen Con this year. This is the second year in a row I'm not attending, and I'm feeling kind of sad about that. Uh, I didn't go last year because I was kind of burnt out on it. Uh, and I roll around this year, I'm trying to go to some new conventions just to do things a little bit differently this year to kind of keep things fresh. And I come to find out, hey, you really should have wanted to go to Gen Con because now you want to go. It's going to be the 50th anniversary of the show. There's a lot of friends and stuff that I've made over the years. Uh, gamers, media folks, designers, publishers, all that kind of good stuff that I'm going to super miss by not going there. There's a lot of fun events I'm going to miss. And I feel generally pretty sad that I'm not going to be there as far as those kind of things go. If you are going to go, definitely enjoy yourself, stay safe, stay hydrated, stay fed, get some sleep, all that good stuff, but have a great time. And I just kind of have one quite a brief mention I want to do before I jump into the top 10 list. Uh, usually I like to kind of do a little bit of what's going on. You kind of see that on my review channel. I did play in a Warhammer Age of Sigmar tournament. That was fun. I actually won some games. It was a team tournament, though, so I can't take full credit for winning the games, but it was a lot of fun either way. I did drop a review of probably a week or so before you hear this for Pit Crew, and I screwed up a major rule and played it like five, six times, I think, with that rule. And I remember having the, the designer pointed out the rule, and I was like, oh, yeah, I remember reading that and then immediately forgetting it. <laughs> and so the rule is when you roll a die, there's a point in the game where you go to roll a die and you only move when you get a six. And we were moving the number of pips that were shown. Now, actually, the game played pretty well that way. You'd have some swingy turns, but that could kind of go either direction. So YouTube doesn't let you annotate videos really anymore, which is kind of a bummer. Uh, so there is a comment under the bottom of the review to make note of that, but <laughs> please, Forgive me for screwing that up. I can't believe I did that. Uh, sometimes rules just kind of pop into my head, I think, sometimes. My game group can attest to that. Uh, but I didn't want to kind of make a sort of more public uh, apology and uh, clarification on that. Uh, but anyway, uh, other than that, you know, you see some of the reviews going up uh, this week and last week. That's what I've been kind of playing, as well as some other games hopefully coming up, uh, maybe the week that this drops. So let's go ahead and just jump into my top ten. And the number 10 game is a Fallout Wasteland Warfare. This is from Modiphius. Now, this interests me because of the theme. I'm a big fan of the original Fallout games, as well as Fallout 3 and Fallout New Vegas. Uh, Fallout 3 might be my favorite video game ever, or certainly like in my top five or something, if I had to do that. Uh, this is interesting because it has a co-op and solo play possible as well as kind of uh, hints at some kind of campaign or you know some kind of linked scenario type of thing and the miniatures look really cool and like I said the, the theme really fits me but I'm really intrigued by doing kind of a, a co-op type of attitude with the miniature game now one of the games that I really have enjoyed recently uh, was the Walking Dead miniature game which really surprised me how much I enjoyed that and that has a lot of co-op play possible in it and that actually turns out to be kind of a fun uh, way to play that game and that's just something we haven't really seen much of in terms of a tabletop miniature game is co-op play so i'm very interested in this and the miniatures look pretty cool they actually are very large scale i think they get up to like 30 32 millimeter which is above kind of what you normally see normally see a 25 or 28 millimeter uh, size miniature 
So they're a little bit bigger. So I'm a little interested in how that's going to work when you start using terrain and stuff like that. So that is a little bit of a, maybe a red flag in some ways, but I'm not real sure what they have planned. So maybe they've got like some boards and stuff that are going to be, you know, appropriately sized or something like that to go with it. But regardless, I am interested in it. Now that is number 10, Fallout Wasteland Warfare. Number nine is going to be a new game, which is also an old game called The Climbers. Now this is being reprinted and I'm super excited about this. I remember seeing this several years ago, I think now, uh, when I first saw it and I was really intrigued by it. Now it's an abstract game and you set up these different size three-dimensional blocks and you're trying to move one of your pawns up the blocks. Now your pawn can only move onto blocks that are showing a facing of the color that matches your pawn. And each of the blocks can be kind of flipped and rotated to, and they have different colors on the side. So you can do actions to move the blocks around. You've even got like little ladders. You've got little a uh, little token that will like lock a block from being able to be changed. And you just kind of move up until everybody gets to a point where they can't possibly move. So you can kind of imagine as players are moving up and you're pulling blocks from different spots, your options are going to be very, very limited as time goes on. So once the game gets to a state where nobody can legally move, then the game will be over and whoever's kind of at the top of whatever this sort of tower that you're constructing and deconstructing, uh, whoever's at the top of that at the end is going to be the winner. Uh, it looks really cool. I have a lot of time, a lot of fun playing Santorini with my wife. Uh, and it has a sort of a similar vibe where you're kind of building the board up, moving the board around and, uh, you know, just kind of being real tactically uh, abstract in your all your moves. But this looks like it's more supportive of more than two players. So I hope to have a lot of fun with that. So that is The Climbers. And number eight is Codenames uh, Duet, which I did have a chance to actually play at Origins. I think we played it three times there. And we got better and better and better, but we never actually uh, won the game. And I only played it two-player, but... It was really, really cool. It's a, definitely a more of a thinky, brain-burny type of code names that supports strongly the lower player counts. So the, it's, it's going to work really well with two and three players because you're playing as teams. Now, you could play it up to like eight players with four on a team. Uh, and I'm curious to see if that actually, uh, how, how well that works. Because I don't think you want to really add too many players to that. Whereas regular code names, you could have a, you know 20 people sit around and that'd be fine as well. Uh, but I definitely recommend folks uh, check this out, especially if you're going there. Definitely give this one a pickup. And this is kind of like a quieter, more methodical uh, code names. There's some interesting things that it does with the assassin. There's three assassins. And so if either of you pick an assassin, you know, both teams lose. And so there's like shared words. I don't want to get too into details and mired in the mechanics, but there's shared words between each side of the clue card. And so you've got to sort of uh, try to figure out you know, okay, this word's actually shared because that can kind of throw you off as you're giving clues. Even though they didn't guess it, maybe it's a clue for you on the other way. Uh, so that is really, really cool. I'm very looking forward to Codenames Duet. That was number eight. Now, number seven is an expansion for Splendor. This is called Cities of Splendor. And Splendor's a game that we've had a lot of success with at my lunch group at work. Uh, and I'm not kidding when I say we played it over 50 times. And everybody absolutely loves it. They rave about it. Uh, you know, they ask to me to bring it back. You know, every once in a while, and we'll, we'll bring it back and play it. Uh, and by the looks of it, this expansion kind of comes with different modules, so you can kind of plug and play one, or I think maybe all the modules at once. 
and it's going to spice up the game in a way that it gives you kind of special powers and combos and all that kind of stuff based on what you add and so you might take certain cards you get incentives to take certain cards or you get abilities when you do certain types of actions or collect certain types of goods and that's going to you know kind of spiral up and build up your engine so that looks really really cool um just for somebody that has really enjoyed splendor and we played it a whole bunch i think this is going to kind of reinvest some freshness to the game for us and hopefully we'll have a lot of fun with it so that's number seven cities of splendor and moving on to number six this is another game that I've played uh, recently. I only played it one time. Uh, my group does have a couple copies floating around, and this is Jiraku. Now, this is being brought over by Tasty Minstrel Games, and I think they're going to do a little bit of a component upgrade. Not that it needs a lot. It's a pretty simple game, uh, and it kind of looks very nice. <laughs> it looks pretty elegant and, and straightforward, uh, certainly functional, but I don't know that you need to do a ton to it to bling it out or anything. But I think they're going to do some changes. I don't know exactly what. Now, if you've not heard of Duraku, it's a combination of a trick-taking game with an area control game. And it really works very, very, very well. Uh, you've got kind of different actions and things that you can do when you play a card uh, as part of a trick. You can move these cubes around and add new cubes to different areas. And the areas are going to kind of score in a scaling manner. So there's like... And I think there's like seven areas that kind of lead up to the capital city. And the game is going to score those areas differently over the course of the game. So the areas that are further away from the city will score better. And the areas closer to the city are going to score better at the end of the game. And they're going to score a lot better at the end of the game. But you don't want to miss out kind of on those early points in those areas that are far away. And then there's a little bit of tactics and things with some cards sort of like uh, trumping each other in a way. Uh, so it's a very, very interesting game. It can be very uh, brutal and cutthroat in a lot of ways, uh, but it's got a lot of strategy and it's got some depth and things like that into Actually, no, I've played it more than once. I think I've played it twice. <laughs> so it's been a few months since I played it, but I highly recommend this game uh, and I hope to definitely get a copy of it at some point and I can give you a formal review of it. Uh, but my group really likes it, I think, to a T. Uh, so I feel confident that a lot of folks will uh, appreciate it. It's got a very simple rule set uh, but there's a lot really going on for this style of game. And that's number six, Jiraku. And number five is Flamme Rouge, which is also uh, not a reprint, but it's more of a distribution of a game that was released in Europe, now being brought over by Stronghold Games. And uh, there's a guy, Chris Bryan from uh, Board With Life. He's also a board game designer as well. He's got some new games coming out I've seen, which is interesting. And he loves Flamme Rouge. He talks about it all the time. And I think it's his favorite game of all time, or really close. I know it was his favorite game that came out last year. And uh, it, frankly, his enthusiasm has kind of pushed me up a little bit more on it than I would have been anyway. But it does have a lot of cool things that seem like something I would really enjoy. Now, the idea behind the game is you have a team of bicycle racers. Think of like the Tour de France or something. And you have kind of a little bit of a deck building thing where you're playing cards. And there's different interactions when you sort of end your turn and you're in a position where you can draft uh, other bicycles and then there's some cards and things that will kind of get added into your deck if people draft you so you get some kind of penalty cards because they're kind of i guess pulling off your energy or it's just kind of a way to kind of bring you uh, back in line and then there's uphill and downhill uh, effects that are going to add different cards to your deck i haven't played this one so uh, i'm kind of 
guessing and what I'm remembering of the mechanics from watching reviews a long time ago. But I've been really looking forward to this one for about a year now, uh, waiting for it to come over. And it looks like it's got a lot of interesting, I would say, innovative mechanics in terms of what a, how a racing game works. So it's kind of a pure racing game with some deck building elements that I think they feel like they're going to really adhere to that racing theme. So I'm really excited about Flamme Rouge. And that's number five. And number four is The Expanse. Now, this is being uh, published by WizKids. And I just got done uh, watching uh, the second season about a week or two ago. And really, that show has really grown on me. Um, they had a lot of buzz, and I really got into it. And the first season, I was like, okay, this is getting good. This is getting good. I was still kind of flat on some things. But by the time the second season was over, I was really enjoying kind of just the interplay of all the different factions. And that's what you kind of take a role of inside the board game. You can be, I might get the faction name screwed up, but there's the OPA and there's the the Earth faction, the Mars faction. And then I think there's a fourth faction that you can play. I'm not confident that you can play this, but there's like a corporation that you can play as. And so it's been kind of billed as kind of like a Twilight Struggle type of game with some card play, some area control, some kind of influence type of things. And I think you've got sort of kind of like cards with lots of different effects and things. Um, but it's a little bit simpler and less complex than uh, Twilight Struggle from what I understand. And it's also multiplayer. So I think this should be a lot of fun. I don't know, frankly, if anybody in my group has watched The Expanse. I know one guy has. He doesn't come that often to our Thursday night, though. Um, but maybe I can entice him because uh, I know he does also. He's, he's been reading the books, actually, and he has really enjoyed those. Um, so I think I expect I can get this played though for sure because the game mechanics and everything sound really really good as well so that's one I'm really looking forward to and uh, Jeff Engelstein is designing it and he's done a lot of games he did uh, Pit Crew which I screwed up a rule for which is it's still really good <laughs> even if you play with the right rules <laughs> but uh, yeah so I, he's, he's done a, a few games that I've really liked and uh, so I kind of expect even though this is an IP game you know IP games are kind of hit or miss so I do expect him to take care of that design, and, uh, and I expect it to be fun. So that is number four, The Expanse. Uh, number three is a Whistle Stop. Now this is being brought over, not brought over, it's being published by Bezier Games. And I'm really excited for this one because the look and feel of it uh, looks really cool. And it's kind of like a networking game, so you might think it's like a Steam or Age of Steam style game, but it looks more like it's kind of a gamer version of Suro, or also akin to a game that we've had a lot of fun with called Metro or Cable Car. Now our group has had a lot of fun with Suro as well, but that's a really light, you know, a lot of luck in that game. But we that's a nice kind of filler to break out if we're waiting for somebody to get back or, you know, arrive or something. And Metro and Cable Car is like a souped up version of Suro with a lot more choices and things. But those are sort of pure kind of route building games in a sense, where this looks like it's got some interesting things where you can like kind of stop off and make deliveries as you're kind of moving around and building these routes and trying to get your train from uh, one side of the board to the other. Um, so I expect this to be a really fun game. I just really like the look of this. And this is just a style of game you don't really see a lot of. It's kind of a tile placement game, but where you've got kind of those route considerations and blocking other people's routes and all that kind of cool stuff that you kind of maybe distill out of your heavier train game. So this seems to have been, uh, this style of game seems to have been a, a, a good hit with the group. 
So I'm really looking forward to a whistle stop. And number two is a first Martians. Now, a lot of people have seen this game. It's coming out from Portal Games, and it's kind of a sci-fi version of Robinson Crusoe. It takes place on Mars. You've got various scientists that are trying to survive there and deal with the elements and deal with the upkeep of their colony and all this stuff. Now, it's also driven by an app, which is going to present to you a campaign and various kinds of uh, different little scenarios within a single game in terms of like the decisions that you make and how that's going to affect uh, the actions and the events that get presented to you as the game moves along, similar to what happens in Robinson Crusoe. So I'm really excited to try this one. Robinson Crusoe is one of my favorite games of all time. And I think we could have a lot of fun with this, uh, with the gamer group and also uh, with the family. Now, my family, funnily enough, has had fun playing Robinson Crusoe. It's typically a little bit more on the complex side than we normally play. But when we've played it, I kind of act as the game master, the dungeon master. I still play with them, but I just I manage all the rules in my head and just say, okay, well, if we go here, this is going to happen. And the cool thing about that game, Robinson Crusoe, is you can explain things in a thematic way, and it just makes perfect sense. So, so if, we, if we go here and we send two workers here, then we have a better chance of you know actually exploring this area or hunting this animal or whatever or building the, the, the hut and all that kind of stuff. So you can really explain that game thematically and it becomes a very immersive experience. So I expect that this is gonna be even easier maybe to do that because you've got kind of an app that's driving everything and I think that brings a little bit of excitement to the game as well. And plus the Martian theme is really cool and you know people wanna live on Mars all the time. And so, uh, you know, that's just the interesting theme to a lot of people. So I'm really looking forward to First Martians. That's my number two. And keeping with the app theme, my number one is actually a set of games. And I've already played one game from this, and that's the Unlock series. And I had a chance at Origins to play the Formula. There's a version of Unlock called the Formula. And I think that was like the second hardest or the second easiest or something uh, of that series. And they're coming out with even more. I think there's like four or five that will be out I'm not sure about what point, but by, by the end of the year, I expect there'll be at least four or five of these out. And these are just small little boxes. You get an app, uh, you get a deck of cards that will, you know, kind of dictate what happens on the table. And it's just big, a big escape room kind of thing. And you kind of move through cards and analyze the puzzles and try to figure out how to interact with, uh, you know, different things that are kind of like numbered on the cards. And there's little pictures of things. And it looks really cool. And it really feels like an escape room. And they've done a great job with how they kind of get, give you clues. Because if you've done like a real escape room, you get clues from the folks running the escape room. You might get uh, penalized for making wrong guesses. And then even when the time runs out, it still will let you keep going. And it kind of uh, sort of like, I guess, I guess it sort of like scores you. Because if you get it done within time, then you kind of complete it in a real sense. But you can still, even if it's really hard, uh, you know, kind of ask for hints and things. So you can kind of really tailor your experience. So it's fun no matter how you kind of play it, which is really, really cool. And I've been a real big fan of these escape room style games. So I think we're seeing a lot of these games now where you have that kind of puzzle element. Uh, you've seen a lot of these different, just they're called escape room games. There's the one that has the escape room, uh, the board game, which comes with four escape rooms inside of it. You've seen stuff like Time Stories, which kind of has those uh, kind of one-shot scenarios that you can play through. And for my money, this is really my favorite 
uh, implementation of this kind of style of game where it's kind of a one-shot playthrough. It's a it's kind of a real brain-burning puzzle with a little bit of uh, obfuscation and red herrings and kind of trying to make those connections. And it really just kind of scratches a different kind of itch in that tabletop experience. You know, it's not like an engine building game. It's not a miniatures game or an Ameritrash game or anything like that. It's it's a different kind of tabletop experience. It's different than even like a role-playing game would be. So I'm really been a big fan of this style of game. And we're probably at like peak escape room game now because I don't know, I saw some other game that was like some escape room, the card game, something. So I feel like by this time next year, we're going to be like, oh, it's another escape room game. Uh, so, but I'm really, really looking forward to this unlock and, and hopefully picking up a couple of these, playing with the family, pay, playing with the game group. Uh, and the nice thing is you can just kind of pack all the cards up and say, here, Frankie, you, you can take this box and go play it and uh, pass it on to the next player if you really want to. That's a really cool concept. Uh, so that's it. Just kind of a quick, brief uh, top 10. Like I said, I'm not going, feeling super sad. But I think I am going to try to plan to go to next year. I know for a lot of folks, the madness of getting a hotel room and just kind of the madness in general of the convention is a big turnoff. And frankly, it is for me too. Uh, but if I can sort of secure a decent hotel room that's close, then I will spend the money probably. I'm not 100% going to go, but I want to. Uh, I'll spend the money to go and, and do, you know, on the time and the vacation time at work. And that's really the trick for me, frankly. It's been one of the turnoffs because in the past, you know, I've done coverage of Gen Con, so I really felt like I had to have a close hotel room just to scurry back, copy videos onto the hard drive, fire up uploads, you know, run back to the con, do all that stuff. I don't think that I'll do that again. But even without that, just having that con hotel to get back to take an hour nap or anything like that uh, and just kind of take a breath of fresh air you know take games back to your room all that kind of stuff and instead of having to like carpool you know from 10 miles away and all that kind of business to me if you're going to spend the money for the flight the money for the convention the money for the hotel all that time away from family or work and all that stuff for my money, my, me personally, I, I can't do it if I have to have that hassle with the hotel. It's not going to be worth it in that case. Although I think for a lot of people, it's not that big a deal for them. Uh, so anyway, that is my top 10 from Gen Con. Uh, thanks for listening again. And everybody have a good time. And please take care of yourselves out there. And I will see you in the next review or next month and try to figure out a topic for next month's drive through FM. Okay, thanks.